Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanze vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And joining me, as always, is the area manager and writer for Transfer Mart, Manuel Veth. Manu, how you doing? I'm doing really well, Bryce. I had a week of holidays, which is, um, yeah, something, you know, that has, it has been a while. So it's been really nice to just be away. Well, we're not really allowed to travel. So not really away, away, but still on the island in the middle of nowhere and an area called the Pacific Rim National Park. So we've been just spending some time in there and uh, got back to the football this weekend. It was strange after a week off and um, yeah, feeling pretty good. How about you, Bryce? How are things over in London? Yeah, not too bad. Things are all right. We, we've had some, uh, we've had some sunshine, but it, it's been crazy. We, we've randomly we've had um, some twenty-five degrees here, which is good by our standards, and sunny days. And then we've been told exactly a week later we're meant to have snow. I don't know what's going on, but I, I know I am very jealous of the photos you keep sending me. It looks fantastic where you are, and um, yeah, you're not really into cocktails, are you, Manu? I don't, I don't think so. Um, uh, you were just sending photos of somebody else's, I think. Anyway, <laughs> um, I'm glad to hear that you're having a good time. But um, let's get to something that will bring you back down to earth and talk the international break. So um, we're back from the international break, aren't we? We've just seen match day 27 in the Bundesliga. But um, yeah, talking about the German performances, they had three games, as we mentioned on the last podcast, three qualification games for the World Cup. Um, two of them went probably as expected, six points from the first two. The third one, lesser so, a loss to North Macedonia. Manu, we've we've talked that there's problems with the German national side. Uh, there has been for for a little while now. Um, this is this a new low? Could we call it that? This is a new low. I think when you look at these three games, we had the good, the middle. And the bad, didn't we? I think there there was the full spectrum of the Joachim Löw era on display over this this entire week of the international break. And I think there's a, there's a lot of things that we can take away from it. Uh, the the first game against Iceland, I thought they were very good, and that was probably the toughest is the toughest opponent in what is overall a very weak group. And um, that's no disrespect to the likes of Romania, Armenia, Iceland, um, North Macedonia. And um, yeah, I think when you look at it overall, I think Germany should be all right um, qualifying from the group, even with that defeat. And I think that when you, I, I thought after the Iceland game, like this is this is great. I mean, this is a team now that's playing with the confidence, knowing that the the future of this national team is going to be in someone else's hands, right? With Joachim Löw stepping down after the after the European Championships this summer, and then um, the game against. Romania, okay, it was a one 0 victory. It was a right. Um, could have probably been ending ending in a bigger result. And then you had that match against Macedonia, um, where everything that went wrong did go wrong. And 
Timo Werner with a massive miss, for example. I think overall the takeaway is it is probably a good thing the Joachim Löw era is ending soon, Bryce, that we are going to move on to a different manager and going to have someone else take charge. Who that's going to be, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I think it's probably a good time to draw an end to the Joachim Löw era. Yeah, it certainly seems that way, doesn't it? Um, as you said, uh, Manu, you're looking at the qualification group. They were the first three games. Uh, they have six points out of a possible nine. Things should still be okay. It's very possible still to qualify, right? It, it didn't hang on that game. But um, it, a little bit of an embarrassment for, for Germany uh, regardless. But going into the Euros, I mean, this this isn't exactly the preparation that they would want they've got a very tough group as well they've got Hungary in there but they've got Portugal and France that's that's not going to be an easy group to get through no but I mean the the way the Euros are set up too right you can win one game and it still goes through because of the way the tournament format now is with 24 teams which waters down the competition significantly so you can essentially just win one game and still get through depending on what's happening in the other groups right yeah, it's not ideal. I mean, by any stretch of the imagination, there is, it's it's very difficult to find any positives from losing to Macedonia. I, I guess the the one thing that has to be said, this was Germany's first defeat in a World Cup qualifier since that fateful game against England in September 2001, right? So 20 years of, 20 years of being undefeated in a World Cup qualifier. If you want to have a slightly bit of a positive out of this, maybe it was at some point chance just catches up to you and you know a bad result does happen eventually. But yeah, I think when you look at these Euros, uh, I think the expectations are going to be extremely low. And I'm not sure they need to be that low because this is a good team. And it really just depends on Joachim Löw finding the right mix of players. It's not. It doesn't feel like it's a quality problem at times, does it? It feels more like there is a setup issue. There is a is, is a problem with the players on the field and the way they're playing. And and you have some, you have a lot of quality in this team. We're going to talk about Leon Goretzka and Kimmich, I'm sure, later on in the show. But th- those are massive players now, right? And maybe the only thing that's maybe missing is someone who can play that final pass up front and convert those chances at the very top as well. Well, talking about uh, quality and somebody up top, uh, Thomas Muller, everyone keeps mentioning him. Um, do you think that uh, he'll return for the Euros? Or, or do you think that maybe people are, are just suggesting Thomas Muller because they think that that's going to be the, the, you know, the thing that's going to fix all the problems when actually it's, it's not necessarily that easy? Yeah, I think my worry was actually that after the first game that Germany dominated against Iceland, people will say, well, maybe you don't need Thomas Müller, right? And then you had the second game against Romania where there was a lot of chances left um, left back. And then, then maybe you say, okay, well, maybe someone like Thomas Müller does play the more precise pass and allows these other players around him to, to convert. And then you had the game against North Macedonia where you, where you had missing um, that atta- attacking quality altogether. And I think that's maybe when you say, okay, well, that's, that's what got the talk back going, right? Like we need someone like Thomas Müller into the, in the side. And you probably need them to have a, a proper number nine for situations like that. And um, there was some calls for Nemeka to come up from the U21, um, who's been playing quite well for the U21, right? At the European Championships, the, the Euro, U21 uh, 20 ch- championships that t- took place, the group stage took place during this international break and then the the, the, the finals, uh, the playoffs will take place in the summer. Nemeka, who's playing for Anderlecht now and he's he's a city product, right? He's He seems like a really 
good number nine. Like, you know, it's not fancy, but just someone who sticks the foot in there. And I, I know um, he's not the flashiest talent that we have in this talent pool, but he's also has something that we're just lacking all completely, which is, you know, a proper striker. And I, I don't know, maybe with for Joachim Löw not having to really worry about what's going on happen in the future, it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to call someone like that up and give him some first team minutes. Yeah, certainly he has to find something that's going to improve uh, the results really. And yeah, it'd be nice to see them get through that group in the Euros, as you said, even though that that should be, you know, a, a bit of a given, but hey, you know, you, you and I are going to be uh, calling them on and hoping that they do get through. It's going to be, uh, fun watching, but um, talking about um, the coaching issue there, Manu, do do we know who's going to come in in the summer, or is that still um, st- you know still out there? The big question. It still is a big question. I think you've seen Stefan Kunz do very good job, got very good work with the U twenty one. Ralf Rangnick is still available. You know the the whole um, Schalke drama. I think we're only talking. We're not talking much about Schalke today because we we'll want to leave Schalke for another day when when it becomes even more dramatic. But um, the whole Schalke drama and Rangnick not going to Schalke, after all, it appears um, that still leaves him open to take that position. And of course, he's a reformer, right? To for him to come in and to um, would mean a big would probably mean a big upheaval at the DFB, which is not something that everyone at the DFB wants, um, but it's probably something that is necessary. Um, Ralf Rangnick is my personal favorite, but I'd also be happy with Stefan Kunz. I think Stefan Kunz would do a very good job at the German national team. Yeah, we'll just have to see who does get the gig in the summer, eh? But uh, talking of strikers and uh, and quality up front, I think we're going to move on to the Bundesliga match day. And uh, let's focus a little bit on this man and his 87th minute winner. Luka Jovic through the gearbox against the Kanji. Luka Jovic goes on here and across the cover comes Hummels. The cross for Andre Silva! who tucks it away and with four to play it is Frankfurt who lead by two goals to one and this one's ready Hütter. Yes, that was Andre Silva. He's done it once again. He managed to get an 87th winner, as I mentioned, uh, against Borussia Dortmund and well, for Eintracht Frankfurt, you've got to say, Manu, things are, are looking almost kneeled on for them getting a Champions League spot now. Yeah, what is it? Seven games to go, seven points clear of Borussia Dortmund, the Borussia Dortmund side that is struggling to put results back to back together. I think Eintracht Frankfurt got that Champions League spot. I know that you heard all sorts of comments from um, the likes of Emre Schaan saying he doesn't want to play in the Europa League next year. He has no interest in that competition whatsoever. Um, I think he should have probably thought about this. Him and his teammates should probably have thought about this before the Eintracht Frankfurt game, which was uh, was a must-win game. Remember. Even with a win, the the there would have still been a point difference um, between those two sides. You know, it wasn't in Borussia Dortmund's hands to speak with, begin with, and now it's definitely not in Borussia Dortmund's hands. I mean, they have to over the next seven games, they have to win all of those games and hope that Eintracht Frankfurt essentially slips three times. And I can't see that, Bryce. I mean, what Eintracht Frankfurt have and. I thought it was really quite telling in the, in this particular game. And I know we're going to talk about Erling Haaland in some lengths because of his shopping trip in a moment. But Eintracht Frankfurt get a lot of scoring from a lot of different people, um, from a lot of different areas. And 
have that ability to really break opponents down in a way that we have been lacking having ha, Dortmund has been lacking for quite some time right and they're very well structured Andre Silva is the second best striker in this league with 22 goals now on paper right and I would say he is period is the second best striker in this league he's he's I know Frankfurt also have Luka Jovic who on his day is one of the best strikers in the league as well right so there's two players up front there that really know what to do and to put the ball on the net and on top of that in Kostic they actually have a delivery man and isn't it just me when I thought you know when I watched this Borussia Dortmund side for a long time we thought okay well they're just going to give the ball to Erling Haaland and everything will be all right right but that's completely gone now as well and on top of that you have all these attacking midfielders on on Dortmund's side that just completely lack any kind of drive and any kind of direction whereas on Eintracht Frankfurt you have uh, Armin Younes who's who's a street footballer through and through you have Kostic a guy who is very direct and probably the one of the best assist givers, maybe the best assist giver, not named Thomas Müller in this league. It just feels like this this team is better. The table doesn't lie, right? Eintracht Frankfurt have the better team and they're better equipped to qualify for the Champions League now. Yeah, Manu, you, you mentioned, you know, in the run into the end of the season that, you know, Frankfurt would have to lose three times, slip up three times in seven games. That's just not going to happen, is it? They've lost once in 16 games in the Bundesliga, you know, so that, that would be, you know, a, a, a hell of an implosion, wouldn't it? Um, and they're looking good for it at the moment. They're looking consistent. They're scoring goals. And as you said, they've got lots of players on the field that, you know, are incredibly good form. Um Manu, we talked a little bit in our group, didn't we, during this game, that there's a lot of players just off form for Dortmund uh, at the moment. I mean, Royce hasn't scored in, I think, is it 16 or 18 games? Um, Hazard hasn't looked to himself at all. Um, Brandt, you know, he's not exactly an answer. There's, there's lots of issues here. Um, Haaland, they've probably fallen back on all too often. So um, Dortmund, I mean, even if uh, Haaland doesn't have a good day, they, they need somebody else to step up. And that just doesn't seem to be the case at all at the moment. Do, do you think that's a coaching issue? Yeah, it's maybe it's a coaching issue. Maybe it's the we noticed this against the the game against Bayern. You know, where in the second half the plan really was just to punt the ball forward to the number nine and hope for the best. And you know, if that number nine is Erling Haaland, that probably produces results more often than not. But it's becoming a little bit one-dimensional, and it's becoming very reliant on essentially one player, right? And that's not that's not a good recipe for success. When you, I got a statistic sent to me to um, when when I did a tweet about I basically tweeted that Dortmund are an assembler of out of form attacking midfielders, right? And this tweet kind of summed up what I was thinking. Um, this is from the Mentalitäts poster on Twitter, and he said in 2018-19 without Haaland, BVB scored 2.38 goals per match. With Haaland in 2020-21 they scored only 2.03 goals per match. So goal scoring has been down, even though they have one of the most in-demand number nines in, the, in their side. Now, I'm not saying Erling Haaland is a bad player and it's all his fault, because it's not, right? He's obviously extremely talented, and we're going to talk about some of the figures in, in, that have been floating around in Europe this weekend um, because of his agent's shopping trip. But it's becoming very, very, very one-dimensional in in a lot of ways. it's The strategy seems to punt the ball up to Erling Haaland and hope for the best. And 
you have a lot of players who, I mean, Jaden Sancho is out injured, right? And um, he's he's apparently not making the game against Manchester City, which is terrible news for Dortmund. Torgen Hazard is not having the the creativity and the the the, the sort of creative spark that we saw from him before the injury. Um, Giorena, where has he been in the last few weeks? Is is he still playing at Dortmund, Bryce? Because I'm not sure. Um, Julian Brandt, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you can go down that list, right? But it's just lacking in all those departments. And Marco Royce, I think what happened after the substitution says everything you need to know. It's He's been out of form for a long time and he's his body language is awful. And I know we shouldn't overvalue body language, but in this case, it really is the case that he doesn't really show leadership. And it's, yeah, it's all just gone a little bit sour at Borussia Dortmund and it's all a little bit, a little bit one-dimensional and it's gone from an excessive amount of passing under Lucien Favre to let's just punt up the ball straight to Erling Haaland and hope for the best under Eden Terzic and that's just not good enough and it it cost the club the Champions League right the lack of planning and the lack of successor of, of having a successor is what cost Borussia Dortmund essentially in the end the Champions League by not having the sort of idea in place. Like when Bayern Munich fired Niko Kovac last year, they had a head coach already in the wings in Hansi Flick who could take over and had an idea. And then they ended up winning six titles. And that's the Dortmund are not having creative planning in, in their front office right now. I mean, I was joking. Um, if they sell... Sancho and Haaland for 200 million euros. They're just going to buy a bunch of mediocre attacking midfielders and right backs and left backs again, right? Not the sort of players that you need to make this team better. And that's that's going that's coming from the top. They don't have the creativity anymore to challenge Bayern. They're trying to they're just trying to become a they're just basically buying buying players with an eye to look look moving them on. And that's not the sort of creativity you need to defeat a challenger like Bayern. To challenge Bayern throughout the year, it's just not good enough. No, it's 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 really not. There, there's a lot of underperforming players there, isn't there? Um, I think you know the, the tweet that you sent out, you know, about the uh, the attacking midfielders that they purchased. You know, you, you can't really argue it at at, at the moment, can you? Um, I suppose, Manu, you know, that brings us on to Haaland. We we need to talk um, a little bit about him. It it seems like. No matter what or which of the big leagues that you tune into at the moment, people are talking about Haaland potentially playing in it next year. You know, the, the talk is if somebody needs a striker, oh, Haaland, go out and get him. But, and I know that Dortmund are reluctant to let him go, but that, that's not going to stop uh, someone like Riola going around Europe uh, and trying to sell his man. Eh? So, Manu, what can you tell us about this? Um, are Dortmund likely to keep him? Is he to go? And who exactly is he being sold to? Well, when you listen to Dortmund, and um, we have to take it quite serious what Dortmund say. Remember last year, there was all this talk about Jaden Sancho, and I tweeted this the other day. I mean, I, I made a joke tweet about them selling Sancho and Haaland for 200 million euros. I, I want to clarify that. That was a tongue-in-cheek tongue in kind of comment, right? You have to take serious what Dortmund say. Last year, they said they're not going to sell uh, Jaden Sancho, and they did not. So if they are saying right now they're not going to sell Erling Haaland, even though they, you know, they might fall to the Europa League, I, I would take that very serious. If you are a journalist writing, oh, Erling Haaland is definitely off, I would talk to maybe the guys at Borussia Dortmund first and ask them about their opinion. And when you say this is just talk from them, 
Um, no, it's not. I, I think you have to take that very serious. That is one side of the story, right? The other side of the story is that Erling Haaland is being represented by Mino Raiola. That's a fact, right? And we all know who his agent is. And we know that Adomino Raiola has a very good relationship with Borussia Dortmund. He has also already moved players away from Borussia Dortmund in the past that Dortmund really did not want to sell. Henrich Mkhitaryan is a good example, right? Who was then sold for 50 million euros to Manchester United. The stories that you hear, I don't know if they're true. Like we have, we have to kind of, it's all secondhand information, isn't it? But it was a quite traumatic negotiations between Raiola and Borussia Dortmund when it came to his client Mkhitaryan going to Manchester United. So you, you know that Raiola is who he is, right, Bryce? And that is just part of the conversation. But I mean, bottom line is we have to take it very serious what Borussia Dortmund are saying because there is, there is the fact that they, they, they stood firm when it came to Jaden Sancho. So don't write, if you're a journalist, don't write, say, oh yeah, Haaland is off because I wouldn't put a bet on that. Have you seen some of the prices that have been floating around, Bryce? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and I, I had to um, check that they were actually, um, well, they had zeros on the end of them. It's probably the, the best way to put it. I mean, some outrageous numbers. I mean, uh, uh, what have you heard, Manu? <laughs> Well, this is the numbers that have been put out by Barcelona, and this was after they had their talks with Raiola. I mean, take this with a grain of salt. There's a lot of stuff that gets written every day. But essentially, the, an entire package, and I'm saying the entire package, okay? Hear me out before you start screaming at me while you're listening to this on the radio. The entire package is essentially 490 million euros to get this guy if you... If you keep in mind over five years, right? So like this is, I just assume that Haaland would sign a five-year contract because this is like the normal thing to do. So let's break it down, shall we, right? It's 20 million euros for Raiola, 20 million euros for Haaland Senior, 300 million euros before tax and salary over the next five years, Bryce. So that's 60 million euros a year. Break that down. We're assuming because the, the number that was mentioned was 30 million after tax, right? And the tax rate in Spain is about 50%. So we know it's 60 million a year. So that's 300 million euros right there. Then they have to pay 150 million euros to Borussia Dortmund because that's about what Dortmund will probably ask. And um, to top it all off, and this is this is for Barcelona, right? I assume there were different demands made to Real Madrid where, where they also went visiting is that they keep Messi, you know, the very player that almost bankrupted Barcelona because of his salaries, the salary that they paid to him in the last, like, 20 years, you know, however long it has been. That's a lot of money, Bryce. I mean, like, we're talking, we're still, we're still in COVID. Like, yeah, we're getting out of COVID. People are getting vaccinated, and, like, we're probably going to have fans back in the stadiums. But we're still in COVID. And 490 million euros for one player... I don't care if you're Barcelona, if you're Real Madrid, if you're Manchester City, Manchester United. Uh, Chelsea have been in the conversation as well. Uh, the Athletic wrote a fun article about naming all sorts of Premier League teams. Um, again, tongue-in-cheek, right? Bayern Munich have long ago said, no, <laughs> no, no, we're not going to get this agent in our club. That's not happening. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is a huge amount of money. And I just don't know, Bryce, if anyone is going to be able to pay that this summer. Well, th this is it. Um, I, I find this the story even more hilarious when you hear about Barcelona's financial state. I mean, I don't know uh, if any of that's true, but it certainly sounds like they haven't got any money to be spending. So 
you know, what, why those numbers are being given to them is just is is beyond me. But as I, as you said, Manu, I don't really know who's got that money. When we looked at it a little bit further, we got out our calculators. You know, we we figured out that that was one point one five million pound a week. I mean, that that's just obscene. You know, that that would drive most clubs, you know, into a massive tunnel of debt, wouldn't it? So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, maybe it's not true, but let's uh, let's see what happens. But um, let's talk about things that definitely will happen, and that's uh, Dortmund will be playing Manchester City uh, midweek in the Champions League. Uh, Manu, do you see any way of Dortmund? We, we've talked about them being off form, them not being very good. They've lost at the weekend. Champions League through the league looks um, near impossible for next year. How are they going to get through this one? Is there a possibility for them? Yeah, I mean, the game is played in the field, right? And no match is decided before the kickoff, but I can't see them getting past uh, Manchester City. I mean, as we alluded to before, Jaden Sancho doesn't seem to be fit for this game, which is a shame because I think he does offer them something that they're really lacking at the moment. And um, they will have to come up with something better than just punting the ball to Erling Haaland, I tell you that, if they want to beat Manchester City, because Manchester City is a good argument to be made, although they have to have to win that trophy first, right? That they could be the best club team in the world. Uh, I mean, Bayern Munich will probably have something to say about this, but they are arguably one of the two best club teams in the world, and they are on a mission to prove that on the field, right? That they want to they wanna win the titles that essentially highlight the fact that they really are the best team in the world. And I don't think, I can't see... Dortmund get past them. I just can't see it. I mean, I I, ha- I would happily take it, right? I think a lot of people in football would be quite happy if it happens, but I just can't see Manchester City not taking Dortmund out in over 180 minutes. And I'd be surprised if it if the return match even still matters at that point because the way Dortmund played in the season this year, they they just don't have a chance against a top team like Manchester City. Yeah, I think over one game, and I think with Haaland on the field, hey, you never know. But uh, over over two games, I I just don't think they've got the quality or the form uh, to get past them either. You know, the City look very good, don't they? And you know that they're, they're seventeen points clear of of their farmers league. You know, so um, you know that things are are looking positive for them now, and they can focus on on the Champions League. Did I say farmers? Oh, never mind. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's talk about the title race in, in Germany. Uh, let's move on to uh, the. First of the later games on Saturday. Yeah, we had two this time. Uh, where we've seen champions Bayern Munich taking on RB Leipzig. Weeks measured pass for Müller. Great piece of sidestepping. And that's what Leon Goretzka does. 1-0 to Bayern. Emphatic from Goretzka. Gloriously set up. A first half of few chances. But my goodness, Goretzka has snapped up that one. Yeah, and that was the only goal of the game. That was a 1-0 victory for Bayern Munich. And yeah, that leaves them comfortably at the top now, seven points ahead of RB Leipzig, Leon Goretzka with the goal. Um, Manu, what was your take on the top spiel? Um, RB Leipzig, when you look at the stats, looked rather impressive. Yeah, speaking of farmers' leaks, right? Um, unfortunately, that's what a lot of people will be saying when they when they look at this table. And um, I think it's pretty safe to say that the Bundesliga title race is over. Uh, no team has ever 
given up a seven point lead at this stage of, of the season. And I, I can't see it happening this year either. Um, Bayern Munich are, are finding their form just in time. And it seems like they are just doing what's necessary against the very best. You know, we've been complaining about their defending. We're getting to Leipzig in a second, so don't worry about it, Bryce. But we've been complaining about their defending and their lack of the ability of defending for, for quite some time. And then it seems like whenever it matters, they're quite good at it. And that was a good example, in my opinion. Now, you mentioned Leipzig's stats, and it's true. They were very impressive. Um, they were the better team in almost every aspect, except for the one that mattered, and that's putting the ball in the net. And, yeah, maybe that's the difference. You know, when, you, when you're in a top game, uh, there was so much, so much talk about Robert Lewandowski missing and this being, like, the fantastic chance for someone like Leipzig to to beat Bayern but you have to remember there's a lot of players at the Bayern's team and that brings us back to Thomas Müller and his ability to set up almost everyone from every situation right making players around him better and then the, the the setup for the Goretzka goal is a great example you just don't have that at Leipzig yet they ended up buying um, a number nine to replace Timo Werner um, a typical number nine in Sirlot who did not succeed in the Premier League then had a really good year in one of Europe's secondary leagues in the Super League in Turkey, where he, where he scored a lot of goals for Trabzonspor, and he's now back in a top league, and um, he is just not good enough. It's just not good enough. And I mean, that's really, it's a harsh thing to say, but it's, it's the truth. He's just not good enough to get Leipzig to the championship, to get them, get them a title, and that's what they needed. They needed a proper number nine. I, I mean, one of the tweets that I tweeted out, and yeah, like, of course, um, a lot of things is ifs and whens and buts, right? Um, but I think Haaland had gone to Leipzig. Leipzig would probably be clear of Bayern Munich in the title race at the moment. And then what I meant by that is that if Leipzig had a proper number nine, right? And that's that's just the difference. And I'd be curious to see if Brian Brobby, the guy that designed from Ajax, is, is going to help them with that. But yeah, I think Leipzig have gone a long way in their development and they are a top team in this league. And I think that they're further in their development than Dortmund at the moment and that they're more likely to challenge Bayern for the title than Dortmund as well. But it's still not quite there yet, Bryce. There is still something missing. It's still like these tiny little things. Like there is no Thomas Müller at Leipzig. There is no Robert Lewandowski at Leipzig. Peter Gulaxi is not Manuel Neuer and they don't have a Kimmich or Goretzka in midfield. You know, those are quality world-class players and for Leipzig to get there, it, it will take some doing. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, you know, you, you're talking about the uh, striker situation there. You know, I, I think it says it all when the, the, effectively there was no traditional strikers in the starting lineup for RB Leipzig. You know, if someone like as good as Haaland, for example, or Werner, as, you know, as he was for them, you know, you, you don't leave that type of player out, do you? You know, so uh, I think I think that's... Um, that's certainly pointing towards what you've said. Um, yeah, need a little bit more quality. But speaking of quality, uh, Robert Lewandowski, we, we've mentioned many times in the pod um, over the last few months just um, how incredible he is doing this season with the amount of goals. But he, he's out injured at the moment and they've got a rather important uh, Champions League uh, tie coming up on Wednesday against Paris Saint-Germain. Um, how important is he for them? And do you think that that's going to shift maybe the favourites in that tie? Yeah, PSG lost lost their title clash against Lille um, on the weekend. Um, a number nine that was linked to Leipzig and Jonathan David 
he was the, the scorer for Lil in that match, right? Um, it's out injured now, but he he was the scorer in that game, and maybe <laughs> who knows what have would have happened if Leipzig had gone for him rather than Solot. But um, yeah, Lewandowski. I mean, we thought him not being in this game would make a difference, right? And this Bayern side is very good, Bryce. There's a lot of very good players that that can make a difference in any given moment, and. Lewandowski is really working hard on his comeback too. He's he's he said that he will be back in two weeks. I mean, like, which is I think is remarkable considering the knee injury that he had. But um, he's someone who's very determined and has a wife who's a personal trainer and works very hard with him, right? So maybe maybe he can be back in two weeks. Who knows? I mean, he is a little bit of a machine, but he will be missed. That means that Bayern will have to focus on the defense. They will have to play a defensively tight game because they don't have someone who bails them out with two or three goals in the Champions League, right? They will have to play a little bit differently. And I do think that they have enough quality to still get through. Um, you know, PSG has played without their top players as well in, in the past. And this team isn't necessarily as good as it was last year under Tuchel, right? Pochettino is a good coach, but he's not Thomas Tuchel. And I do think that... The, the results in the in, in league all show that this team is beatable, and I think that Bayern can beat PSG and can get can go through to the next round, um, where they can potentially face Manchester City, which, I mean, is the matchup that we're probably all hoping to see. Yeah, well, well, everyone on the other side of the draw was probably rather grateful uh, that they were both put on that side, eh? But um, yeah, as you. Um, as you mentioned, uh, Manu, you know, Lewandowski is always going to be a miss, you know, a, a player of that quality. But surely it's it's written in the in the script that Eric uh, Chupamoding is going to score. Do you not think? Yeah, don't count him out. I mean, <laughs> it, it is funny that it is against his ex club, isn't it? So uh, his former club, and yeah, I mean, um, our Eric Chupamoding probably has the best agent on the planet, uh, a player that. Isn't exactly a world star, but has played with probably every world star there is. And um, yeah, maybe it's in it's in the stars that he's going to score the winner for Bayern Munich against PSG. Yeah, well, we'll just have to wait and see if that is the case. But yeah, two very exciting and interesting games uh, midweek for us to feast on. Um, but uh, the, the final game that we've seen uh, on this match day was the Berlin Derby. Uh, Manu, you and I watched this rather closely and we were messaging each other and saying, wow, what, what an entertaining game this turned out, especially with um, Onion starting off so brightly with that wonderful strike. Uh, second half, it kind of fizzled out a little bit, but. Um, it's got to be said that you know, Onion are, are doing fantastic, aren't they? 14 points ahead of Hertha. They're sitting in seventh. Hertha down in lowly 14th. Yeah, fireworks in the first half, literally, right? Fans lit up fireworks outside the stands. And um, then Karate Andrich, as I called him on, on Twitter, because he was he was the player who got sent off for a karate kick in, in the return fixture, right? That eventually paved the way for Hertha to win the Berlin Derby, the first Berlin Derby of the season. I thought the first half was very good. The second half kind of fizzled out a little bit. And um, maybe that's due to Hertha. I had a sense that Hertha were quite happy with that point, Bryce. I think when they're in a relegation fight, a point is quite valuable. And Paul Dardai is a very pragmatic head coach. He's not someone who who's going to say, okay, well, let's go all out and um, go for the dramatic and go for the fireworks. He's rather says, okay, well, a point here is good. You know, we're playing against a team that's currently in the running to qualify for Europe and um, a point in the in the relegation fight is all we need. And I, you had the sense that that's what they were doing. They were going for the one point, which is probably not something that Hertha fans 
want to hear. And it's probably also due a little bit to the fact that there is no people in the stands at the moment. I can't see any of those two teams going for a draw in a Berlin derby if there's 30,000 people in that stadium, right? And yeah, I think maybe maybe this is one of those things where we really want fans back. We re- They really missed in those kind of games and to really push it all the way over the full 90 minutes. Um, I think the the fireworks in the beginning helped a little bit to make to give the players the understanding what what was at stake, but um, the bottom line is without fans it's very difficult. And I know that Union Berlin are pushing very hard to get fans back into stadiums. There's all sorts of pilot projects underway in in the city of Berlin um, to get fans into stadiums again using rapid tests. Right, the vaccination campaign in Germany is now wrapping up um, ramping up as well. So. The more people are getting vaccinated, there's now word that people who have been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, can um, take part in, in cultural activities again. So maybe, you know, we get fans back. But this is the moments where you see, okay, look, they're missed. They're missed so much. And um, hopefully by this time next year, we, we will be doing a show like this, maybe from a game like this. You know, Bryce, think about that travel, eh? That'd be nice. Oh, that would be delightful, wouldn't it? it? It seems like a very long time ago since we were at games, doesn't it? It's uh, it's well overdue. But um, yeah, Manu, I, th- I think that more or less does it for the uh, podcast this weekend. As we said, you've got the two uh, Champions League games uh, to tune into. Well, obviously, there's more Champions League games than that, but the two German sides are playing on Tuesday and Wednesday night. So uh, enjoy those. Then next weekend, we, we've got some uh, entertainment as Onion Berlin will, tr- will take on the champions Bayern Munich and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, well to Mainz versus Köln which um, bottom of the table uh, clash um, and there, there could be fireworks at that one whoever gets the three points and even a Monday night game odd eh not used to that anyway uh, thanks for tuning in I've been your host uh, Bryce Dunn uh, we'll be back before you know it Auf Wiedersehen Ostern Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 